you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. And welcome to the latest episode of this podcast, Unleashing Brilliance. I am your host, Janine Garner, and it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you to this podcast, a podcast where we chat to game changers, opinion makers, business owners, thought leaders, philanthropists, to really try and work out uh, what was that moment where they felt they were finally stepping into their space, where they had unleashed their brilliance and really trying to learn from their stories so that we can actually become even more brilliant ourselves. I'm super excited to bring my latest guest to you. Uh, Gabrielle Dolan, or as I call her, Ral, is an international best-selling author, an international keynote speaker. She works with some of the world's best around uh, the globe Uh, teaching the artistry, the craft of storytelling to influence more. Uh, This podcast, we talk about how her personal failure led to success. We talk about, obviously, the power of storytelling, and Ryle shares some great tips and tools for you to put into action straight away. And also, uh, that leading principle that she has around the key to failure is actually trying to please everyone and how actually we need to stay true to ourselves. If you want to learn how to connect with the people around you more, uh, then the power of magnetic stories really is that opportunity. So listen in to where this thinking came from. Listen into the story of Gabrielle Dolan and her insights, her musings, her teachings around the power of storytelling. Gabrielle Dolan, welcome to my podcast. So awesome to have you on the show. How are you? I am fabulous and looking forward to our chat. And you've just got back from the most amazing trip. You were telling me off air and I'm actually sat here a little green. I've even flicked the link off to my husband or so. We are booking this this year. Where have you just come back from? So the Northern Territory, so it's the Central Australia, so the first time I've actually been to the Northern Territory. Uh, we did a six-day trek on the Lara Pinta Trail to raise funny uh, funds for Sister Works, which I am the ambassador for, that they help migrant women. And then we went to, had three days at Uluru. So Uluru um, is the uh, Indigenous name for Ayers Rock, which a lot of people know it as but that was just amazing and stayed at this resort where everything was inclusive and the food, the open bar, the, the, the service, it was just, it was stunning. Stunning, stunning, stunning. Oh, it just sounds amazing. I reckon we all should add that to our bucket list. So wonderful to have you here. Uh, it's going to be hard for us to keep within a time limit because I know every time we connect and catch up, we just talk and talk and talk and absolutely try and solve all the problems on the planet. And for that reason, we're launching our own podcast together in the next couple of weeks. We're having a little bit of fun, aren't we? We're going to sit down and chew the fat over the month that we've had. Uh, the wind down um so if you're listening to this and you love the chat that we have make sure to check out the wind down spelt go for it Ral. 
spelled W H I N E. So, but we, we but we will have a W I N E in hand, and we won't be we won't be whinging and whining that much. But yeah, who knows where that'll go? That and that's going to be live, Janine. Yeah, it is going to be live. It's going to be a live event. It's going to be live. Who knows where we will yeah. go? I think there'll be a lot of laughs. That's that. That yeah. can be guaranteed. Um, all right, so let's let me just fire some quick fire questions at you, Raoul, um, just so our listeners can get to know a little bit more about you. So, uh, your first job? What was your first job? My very first job was actually helping my dad paint. So he was a spray painter. So on the weekends, I'd go around helping him paint. My first, I guess, official job with a company was as um, stocking the shelves in a supermarket. And I, I used to see my mum and her um, friends and I'd go up and go, where does this go? Where does this go? <laughs> like, but I, I only did that for two weeks until I got a full-time job. So I moved on. Love it. Now, are you a hard copy book reader or digital? Which do you prefer? Uh, definitely hard to copy. I've become actually I've become a bit of fan of audio books because I can listen to them while I'm reading and writing. But definitely, definitely hard copy. Um, and do you? do you listen to? You just said I listen to them when I'm reading and writing. So oh, you like reading two books at the same oh time. Oh, my God, I'm so multitasking. I can't believe it. I'm just back from holidays. I can't even talk. I listen to audio books when I'm running, I think I meant to say. Um, and I do like the hard books. But it, it, I very rarely finish reading a book, very rarely finish reading a book. I'm a bit of a dip in, dip out. So what book did you finish? And you don't have to say mine, that's okay. But which book did you finish? (laughs) Oh, yes. Well, I finished the really good books that you've written, Janine. Of course I've done that. Um, I actually actually just finished reading Seth Godin's The Practice and I actually finished, well, no, reading that, although I listened to it, so that doesn't even count. Oh, I reckon it does. You got mm-hmm. to the end. That's okay. Yeah, yeah, I got to the end. Okay. Re- I read all my own books, cool. <laughs> Multiple <laughs> times. Multiple times. <laughs> so share with the audience, what, what is it that you do now? What I do now, it's one of those questions that's hard to explain, but I literally write and speak and teach people storytelling. So predominantly teaching business people how to communicate their messages more effectively through sharing personal stories. That's what I do now. Oh, awesome. So we'll get onto that shortly, but let's let's see if we can get some of your personal stories shared on today's conversation. So I wanna I wanna go right back. I wanna go right back. Can you can you actually remember what it is that you wanted to be when you grew up? Uh, yes, I can. And um, I actually wanted to be a graphic designer. So going all through school, I sort of, um, I did graphic communication. So I wanted to be a graphic designer. And I, um, when I left school, I just didn't get the marks I needed to get into the uni course. It was actually a TAFE course back then. Um, and not knowing what to do, I had actually studied computer science that final year of school, and there was a couple of jobs coming up as trainee computer operators. Now, remember, this is 1988, so um, no, 1984, I should say. Um, so computers had just sort of come in, and because I sort of knew what one was, 
I got a job as a trainee computer operator at the National Australia Bank and that, uh, and that sort of changed then what I wanted to do. And where, whereabouts did you grow up? I grew up in Melbourne, so I've lived and worked in Melbourne all my life. I grew up in a suburb, you know, called Reservoir, which is, you know, just an outer suburb. So I grew up there. I'm one of eight children. So um, there was our, our house was always full, always full. Eight children. Oh, my mm. goodness. It must have been full, busy, noisy, chaotic. How? Um, yeah, it's not, it's not a wise Janine, though, but I am um, on the sixth, on the sixth, and my mum giving birth to my older brother, uh, they, they both of them nearly died. So they actually told dad that um, they will, the, the child won't survive and they'll do their best to keep mum alive. Both of them survived. But mum was told not to have any more children. So there was actually a really big gap. There's a five-year gap between me and my older brother. And then she had, you know, obviously me being so good had two more or or me not being so good had two more. So there was then three of us and we were pretty much, you know, my older brother and two older sisters sort of moved out of home or got married when they were, you know, really young, like 20. So for the vast majority of me growing up, it, sort of was just the five of five of us as I can really remember Mm. how do you how do you reckon your childhood or even that community that you grew up in how do you reckon that shaped who you are yeah look I'm, I'm sure everyone's childhood shapes who they are but I mean growing up in a big family like that it was things like you know we all had jobs to do so we all had to pitch in and do stuff um you'd sort of you know you really you really couldn't complain and whinge about stuff because, you know, first of all, mum would just go get on with it and something. I remember the three the three little ones because we were always called the three little ones even though I'd be 25 and would still be called the three little ones. It was like if you whinged and complained about one of your, you know, my little sister or my little brother, we would all get in trouble. We would literally all get in trouble. Mum would just come and, you know, back then you sort of did get smacked. It would be... <laughs> We had a running joke. She would smack the person for doing something wrong. So she'd smack my, you know, smack my brother. This is for hitting her. And then she'd smack me. This is for dobbing. And she'd just smack the other one just to, it would be like, what's going on? So you just, you, you sort of learnt pretty quickly not to complain about anything yeah. and just work it out. Just work it out yourself because mum didn't want to hear about it. Which is quite interesting in terms of that one of those golden threads because um, I mean, we met, goodness, what, maybe seven or eight years ago, I've lost track now. And I would absolutely say that you never complain. Uh, you never whinge. And you're all about working stuff out. So it's interesting, isn't it? How when you look back, you go, wow, that that's, that's actually shaped um, the leader that I am, the person that I am, and the way I go about uh, doing the work that I do. Hmm. Oh, well, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that before, yeah. but, yeah, maybe maybe it is. Maybe I'm scared if I complain about something. <laughs> you're going to get a slap. You're going to hit me. Go, stop your complaining. <laughs> so so you, you left home and you started work at NAB and was it quite a traditional sort of corporate role that you were doing or how did, how did all that bit of your life go? 
Yeah, no, actually, um, so as a trainee computer operator, in fact, I didn't, my first job, I know I said now, but it was actually at the Australian Wool Testing Authority. So this was, you know, it just, it, it was like a little, like mainly a factory, but they had an office. So I worked in there and I sort of did a lot of office jobs. And then I left and worked at NAB. Um, and that, again, it was a trainee computer operator. So this is, you think, these are the big mainframes, which they hardly any companies have anymore. But this was almost, it was almost like a graduate program, except you, you weren't graduating from any uni, you just got the job. And you'd spend like the first six months changing the printers that's all you did was change the printer paper over and then you spend the next six months changing the tapes over and then you gradually got to learn all the other different you know the different areas in computer operating so um and I but I did that job for about oh, probably about eight years and then uh they had like this voluntary job you could do which looked after the training for everyone and I said I'd do that and really just loved I actually then realized I actually loved making sure everyone got the right amount of training and professional development and I'd create spreadsheets and do all this rostering and I'd have to deal with the um, L&D department and, and they would always go, well, we don't even know who the other training coordinators are. You were like taking this to a whole new level and, and I think that's when I thought I actually prefer developing people more than just being you know, in computers because, you know, I, and it was only a matter of time before people realised I had no idea what I was doing with <laughs> technology anyway. So now if we fast forward, you're an um, uh, international keynote speaker. You're a thought leader, global thought leader in the area of communication storytelling. You've written way too many books. I can't actually keep track. What What is the watershed moment, do you think, that has actually led you to be doing what it is that you're doing now yeah look it's it's a it's a good question I think I think sometimes to me the watershed moments it come down to failure it was like you know so for example even going back to if I had have got the marks to get into the TAFE course to do be a graphic designer there's no way known I'd be doing what I'd be doing now um I and one of the reasons I, my final years of NAB, I sort of started, you know, I was in a lot of change management roles. So I was always figuring out the best way to get your message across and sort of was playing with this concept of storytelling. But it was only when I applied for a job at NAB after, you know, several restructures and it was a pretty senior role. It was the head of learning and development and I didn't get the job. And that's when I decided to leave. Um, I got a friendly push from my manager at the time and, and she said, you know, maybe go do your own thing that you've been talking about. Um, so it was those those moments where you go, okay, this didn't work out. And again, clearly not complaining as, as you've just pointed out to me. Um, I go, right, well, let's just do something different. So it was those those moments that I think why I'm, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. And did you jump straight from NAB into the area of storytelling or did you do something in between? No, I actually did. So this is going back about 16 years ago mm -hmm. and I'd sort of uh, had this concept of storytelling and because I had done a lot of leadership development, I'd, I'd designed training courses, I'd facilitated leadership development courses, there was this thing that sort of thought with storytelling, it was like, 
I reckon I could teach people how to do this. I've clearly not been an expert at the time, never running a business. Um, and I did the, you know, our two daughters were two and five. So part of me thought, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'm home with the kids. But I literally um, went straight from a corporate career to running like pretty much a storytelling practice. And can you remember those? Because you you didn't you, you went into a partnership to start with, is that right? Yeah. yeah. So can you remember, you know, for those that are listening, there'll be people listening in right now that have an idea of doing something different, but they may be in the that solid corporate job or even things aren't quite working out and they're trying to work out what to do next. Can you can you remember how it felt to do that jump in those first few years of running your own show, um, albeit in a partnership situation? Mm. It's you know it's funny people say oh you know would you do it again? I was like yes I would, but it was pretty. Uh, and I think it does come back to the kids were young. Um, if I if the money wasn't coming in, and the money wasn't coming in, believe me, no one was buying storytelling sixteen years ago. There was, a, there was an element that that I guess it was just a nice feeling to go, well, if it doesn't work out, I'm home with the kids, which was okay. Um, you know, we, we were in a fortunate position where my husband, you know, he had a good corporate job as well, but, you know, I had a good corporate job too and we, you know, certainly reduced our income significantly, you know, probably about 60% when I left. So there was that. But we were in a good financial position regardless, so it wasn't the pressure because I think that can really um, – I think when people leave and there's the financial pressure and they're not making money straight away, that there's a temptation to go back. So um, probably for the first five or six years, there was I was never ever making the same amount of money I was when I was at NAB. And one of the things I think that drove me was thinking if I was still at NAB, I would be on this much money and I always wanted to get to the point where I was earning more than that. And and look, even though it wasn't the main driving factor, I, I do like playing a few games with myself. So that always got me going. But things can be real. Things can take a long, long time when you go out on your own. Um, but I think if you've got knowledge about it and if you're passionate about it um, and you keep trying different things, then who knows where it will lead. And... You kept continuing to evolve, right? Because as I as I said there, you were initially in, in partnership. What, what was that tipping point for you where you got to a point of going, actually, I, I'm going to do this on my own? Yeah, look, we, um, we started a business. I started a business with someone else and we sort of had a bit of a plan, a bit of a five-year plan to, to um, you know, run this business. It ended up going for, I think it was about seven or eight years. And it just sort of got to the point where over the last, you know, probably last year, we both sort of wanted to do different things. So, you know, it's like anything, you know, I wanted to do something, she wasn't that excited, she wanted to do something and I sort of wasn't that excited. And so we just sort of decided now was the time for us to sort of venture out on our own and do our own thing because, you know, in the end, in the end, you can sort of feel like you're making compromises that that you don't really need to make because you could just go do your own thing. Um, so, so I did that. Uh, and it's also, it's also at the same time, my husband informed me that he was really getting sick of his corporate job. Um, but, you know, based where we were financially at that time, it was sort of like, Ooh, that would have been a very, 
big, big jump for him to leave corporate at that time. So I remember saying to him, give me 12 months um, and I'm going to take this really, really seriously. So it coincided I went out on my own. I said, yeah, and I had I had sort of, you know, I was going to say the pressure that he wanted to leave. It wasn't the pressure, but I guess it was the um, incentive to make this work and and I did. I think we like I quadrupled, more than quadrupled my sales over the next 12 months. So you've been a talking, teaching, leading the market from a storytelling perspective for what was it, 16 years? 16 years now, yeah. Yes. Um, what significant changes have you seen over that time from the perspective of storytelling? Yeah. So it's when I first started, I think, you know, you'd you'd run a training session or you'd go see a client and they would either fall into three categories, I reckon. The first one was, oh yeah, I've heard about storytelling. I really want to get better at it. That was a very small <laughs> that was a very small category back then. Due through to some people going, I'm not really sure why storytelling would work in business. Then the final section is there was a whole group of people that seriously would think storytelling what a load of crap like what the hell storytelling in business 16 years ago that was the biggest that that was the biggest group with the so the significant thing I've noticed now is that I very rarely very rarely have to convince people of the power of storytelling and that that little section of what a load of crap how could how could a business is has almost disappeared I'm sure there's still a few people that think it but um that, that's what I've seen, the biggest shift, the complete acceptance and realisation that storytelling is powerful, storytelling taps into emotion and we're emotional people and it actually works. So that's the biggest shift I've seen. And, and what? Do, so we've seen the shift, but what drove it? Do you do you have a, a instinctual feel about what was the tipping point? Yeah, I, I think over the last, maybe it is over the last 10 years, I think... I think what's changed is we talk about the new generation, you know, the young generation coming through, which, you know, they're all probably about 40 now. Um, they, they want to connect more with purpose. So this whole desire of, I just, I just don't want to come to work for work. I want to come for, a, uh, I want to work for a leader that inspires me. I want to work for a company that lives true to their values. So you're seeing a lot more companies going, okay, we need to communicate our purpose and the values in a more engaging way. So storytelling is the way to do that. I also think, I don't know, if it, it just came to a realisation that the way we communicate with facts and figures and data and just purely that just wasn't working. And I think there was a whole new generation opening up to, opening up to the fact that we go, okay, this isn't working, so let's try something different. I think Brene Brown's work on vulnerability and, again, helping business people realise that showing a bit of vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness, certainly helped with that. And this, and also I think this whole, and maybe it's tied with that vulnerability piece, is this whole push to authentic leader leadership. So we're wanting our leaders to be more authentic and real and approachable and human. And, again, them sharing stories about their personal uh, life it helps do that. So... Can you give me some examples? You talked about the fact that storytelling works. Um, I want to understand or I'd love our listeners to understand what is what is the definition of work? So what is that? How do, how do you know you're getting a return? How do you know it works? How do you know that storytelling is can be an, a critical game changer for organisations? And then can you share an example? 
Mm. Yeah, so I think when I say it works, is like your people, um, like people go, ah, oh, so now I get it. So it's especially when someone's trying to communicate a message constantly and it's not working. Um, and then people go, oh, wow, okay, so now I get it. So there's a there's an example that I use often that I think really reiterates what I'm trying to get across. It's, it's when I did some work with, a, you know, the head of risk, and I, the whole risk team and the head of risk, her name was Rosemary. And Rosemary said that one of the biggest challenges she constantly has is when she's talking about risk management to the business units she supports, they all sort of look at her and go, well, you're the risk manager, that's your job. So she tried for years to communicate that it's not her job, that all she can do is help them manage risk. And um, But she said it, it just didn't change. The message didn't get through. And so after attending one of my workshops, she she sort of developed this story, which I'll share with you, and I'll, I'll flip the third person, first person to share it. She said, when I was a kid, I grew up on a farm. And growing up on a farm, there was all these dangers we needed to be aware of, but mum would teach us what to do. So we knew what to do when we came across spiders in the tim- timber heap, and we knew about all the potential traps in the dam after heavy rain. And we knew what to do if we ever came across a snake in summer. And I remember this really hot day, mum was yelling at me to get my bike from the front gate. So I ran down the path and then I just froze because in front of my bike was this massive copperhead snake. But I remembered everything mum taught us to do. So I played statues and I slowly walked backwards until there was enough space between me and the snake. And then I ran back to the house to tell mum. And, I, and I'm sharing this with you because it reminds me of the role we play in risk. All I can do is give you the skills, knowledge and advice so when you come across your own copperhead snake, regardless of what that looks like, you will know what to do. And so I share that because I think it's a really good uh, example of when I say a personal story, it's not overly personal, it's just not work-related. And Rosemary, you know, I, I kept in contact with Rosemary and she said that years she'd been trying to give the message of it's not it's not their her job to manage the risks it's they have to and it's only through that story that the message got through and um, to the point where in meetings when they talked about risk management they would actually um, sort of say things like have we identified all our copperhead snakes so the copperhead snake became the the uh, analogy for for the um, risk management but it's it's through the story it helped people understand the message and um, and actually remember it, which which is pretty critical when we're trying to communicate values or strategies or purpose or any other business message. So I've got to ask: is is there actually a framework to storytelling, or could I just stand up and reel off? You know, this morning I took a walk to Shelley Beach and I stopped here and da 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 da. Like, is is there when you teach storytelling? Is there a is there a a proven tested framework? That, that that you teach that people need to learn to really get the impact happening yeah Janine look over the last 16 years I've developed a framework that is it's I'm not going to say it's foolproof but it, it's pretty close where I actually help people get clarity on the message so what's the key message you want to communicate because one of the biggest mistakes people do is put too many messages in their story take them through the process of how they find these personal stories because again people sort of go oh, I don't have any personal stories or that personal story isn't interesting enough or big enough so helping them realize that those little day-to-day you know average I guess personal stories are really important and then take them through the framework of how to start their story and what to put in the middle and how to end it on on message some of the 
the most common feedback I get when I run my workshop is this is a lot harder than I thought because and it is it's a, it's a, it's a skill and it's a business skill it's very different from just sharing stories with our friends um, and I think you know like I said storytelling is really popular at the moment a lot of companies are saying okay we need our leaders to get better at sharing stories but then don't actually teach them how to do it and and it's setting them up for failure um, to ask people to do something and not teach them how to do it properly because it's a it's a lot harder than you think and you know and I know I might be a bit biased on this because this is what I do but this really sad thing is when I see people share a story without being trained and best case scenario it just doesn't work that's best case scenario worst case scenario it actually backfires and it does some real damage and then they you know they never share a story again which is pretty sad well, we've all been there, haven't we, where we've sat in meetings or even sat in conferences and it's almost like blah, 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 mm. can you just get on with it? Uh, whereas that example that you just shared of the copperhead snake, I reckon, what, two minutes, three minutes? Yeah, um, yeah. So I can absolutely understand how, um, you know, telling stories in the right way works and and you know, when you don't do it, it, it doesn't work. And I know because you and I are friends and you've sort of outlined that framework before when I've used it in my own work, you can see the shift in uh, getting your message across. So, so from your perspective, and again, I get, I get your bias because it's what you, your day job is. Um, why, why does storytelling matter for the people that are listening um, around the world right now? Um, who have probably heard storytelling being mentioned left, right and centre in, and in many leadership and business journals. From your perspective, why is it such a critical skill that we need to learn and and who needs to learn it? Mm. Yeah, it's so I think anyone, I, first of all, I think when you share a story, it's a much more effective way to communicate your message. And again, in business, you can be a bit blah, blah, blah. I think predominantly leaders, so any people leader that's managing a team needs to share stories. Any um, client-facing roles, because it's a really good way to strengthen relationships, you know, or managing projects. So, you know, and any company that's going through any change or rolling out new values. So I think, and to me, there's, there's multiple benefits of storytelling. So at a pure practical level, if you can share a story where your team uh, going, oh, yeah, I get that message. So it actually helps me understand it. Or if you're doing a presentation and your audience understand the message at a really practical level, that that in itself is a reason to embrace storytelling. But the other reason why it's a sort of, I guess, more important for a leader or someone in a, you know, a business relationship role is that every time you share a personal story, it strengthens relationships. So in a sales role, it fast tracks trust and respect and it can strengthen already existing relationships. So it becomes a really powerful leadership competency um, and, and sales uh, competency as well. So it's just, just there's so many multiple benefits mm. for storytelling. So if you could give our listeners three tips that they left this podcast with when it comes to, you know, if, there's, if they're listening going, oh, my God, I don't know where to start, uh, what would they be? Around storytelling? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I would say keep it short. Short is sweet. My, my bit of guide is 
probably no more than two minutes. So try to keep it under two minutes. That would be the first one. Um, absolutely make sure it's authentic. That is like a no-brainer. Do not make up stories. Do not um, exaggerate them so much and make sure you believe in the message. So, you know, if you're giving, so it's got to be true. It's got to be real. It's got to be true. It's got to be authentic. Um, and the other one, let's go with one message per story. So don't try to cram all these messages into your story because I, you just confuse people um, and and it'll go too long. So I would say they are probably three tips that will get you on your way. Probably the fourth tip, this is just for free. <laughs> I actually have a seven-day storytelling starter kit. It's free um, and and it does what it says. It's going to get you started on storytelling. So if you sort of, if you are thinking, I don't even know how to go about it, I reckon that's that's a good way to at least get introduced to it. All right. So if, um, thank you for offering that too. I'll make sure I add that in the notes for anyone that might be listening to this on the move. Um, and don't forget to send me the link. Um, if, if a crystal ball, if I had a crystal, crystal ball and you were sat in front of it, Raoul, and you could tell, it could tell you the truth about yourself, your life or your future, what would you want to know? I reckon on a really practical level, I would want to know the exact date I die. Ooh, I, I like to, you know, I like to project manage things. Wouldn't that be cool to go, okay, you've literally got whatever, 30 years left. I reckon it would give you some either urgency or appreciation. I mean, we and we all know we're going to die at some point. Um, yeah, I reckon I'd like to know that. And what would you do if you got told that? What are the things that? Are on your bucket list to do? I actually don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of a bucket list. So I sort of think, you know, if you're going to, or a short-term bucket list, I think, I think work-wise, professional-wise, I feel like I've already had a pretty good impact on a lot of people. So I'd be mm -hmm. happy with that. I might start recording a few things. I <laughs> think. Um, I think with my, you know, my daughters, I think I would, you know, they're 17 and 20. So again, I feel like I've had an impact on them, but maybe it's, um, maybe I would, maybe I would record things for them to say, only listen to this when you're 25 or when you're 30 or when you're 50. It's, um, it's actually just, just coming back from Northern Territory and, and the Larapinta Trail and, and learning a lot more about our first Nations people they talk about things like um, there's men's business, there's women's mm -hmm. business, and it's not your business. Yeah. And they have this, and you even see it in the cave painting. So, you know, we talk about like cave, the cave paintings, they were teaching caves. So you only were told stories. And once you'd learnt that story, then they would tell you other stories. So they reveal knowledge when you're ready for it. It's, and it's not related to age or anything. It reveals knowledge when you're ready for it. So I reckon there's a few things I would like to tell my daughters, um, you know, perhaps about parenting that they're just, they're not ready for that yet. Mm. They're, they're not going to observe it. So, but, you know, hopefully the day I die is when I'm about a hundred. So they'll be, they'll be like 70. So we'll be all good. <laughs> well, I've got through that. What, what, what would you, what would you tell your 25 year old self? Um, I, I think, 
I think I would probably just reinforce perhaps the messages that um, my parents gave me, and it just it just give it a give it a crack. Just keep going. Um, I sort of live by I live by many quotes, but one of them is "It'll be okay in the end," and if it's not okay, it's not the end. Um, and it's almost whatever whatever feels bad at the moment. It's it's not the end. And I think you know I've had a pretty blessed life. The you know the biggest things that have at the time were just you know a boyfriend breaking your heart and stuff like that, which just like just move on. Um, so yeah, I think that would just be. Just give it a go and it will be okay in the end. Trust yourself. So you've, um, you've, you've, you say you've had a pretty blessed life, but you've also done a lot of things. You know, you've uh, had that corporate career. You've moved away from home. You've left that corporate career. You've gone into a partnership. You've done the work to unlock your thinking and thought leadership around storytelling you've written books you've traveled the world um you know you've done a whole heap of stuff that requires a certain level of courage bravery determination whatever you want to call it stubbornness whatever you want to call it what what have you learned about yourself um over the last few decades um yeah, it sounds like a, it sounds like I have done a lot. I, I think courage comes down to it. I think courage comes down to it. And you know, of all the things I've done, is I reckon there's nothing more scary than writing something and putting it out in the world. And whether and you know a book is one, but even writing an article. Remember when I first started doing this, it would be like, oh my god, I would physically almost be sick in thinking, oh, what's people going to say. Um, so I think what I've learned about myself is around the courage to do that and because there have been times where people haven't liked what I've written, the vast majority of people have, but you, you always get some people coming back and saying you should never have wrote that and done that. And it's like I think it's um, I'll be, I'm very careful who I take feedback from um, and you know, if you're not upsetting anyone as a thought leader, you're not really trying hard enough. And uh, I told you I love a quote, another quote, and I think this is what I've learned that to be really true that what I've learned about myself is um, I don't know what the key to success is, but the key to failure is trying to please everyone. Mm. And um, I think ultimately you make decisions that's best for you and your family and if that upsets a few people, then it doesn't matter because you're going to upset people anyway. So make sure you're doing, you're staying true to yourself. And then if some people are upset by that, then you can live with that. Mm. Love that. Love that. So this this webinar is all about unleashing brilliance. What what does that term mean to you? It it's probably it's probably really similar to what we've just sort of spoken about in those mm. last couple of questions you've asked me. Is I think. I think it's a real shame when people have got something inside them. So let's call it brilliance or genius or, Mm. you know, potential, whatever it is, and don't have the courage to unleash it. Um, And I think that's, that's really sad. And, and you know, whether it's fear or whether it's they don't have the support, um, I think that's to me unleashing brilliance is to to have to give it a go. There's I can't believe I'm about to give you another quote, but I am. <laughs> um, 
and it is, you know, a life lived in fear is a life half lived. Mm. And I think when people don't have the courage to unleash their brilliance, then they're probably only showing the people around them half of the brilliance they have inside them. Mm. And again, there's a wonderful link there back to why storytelling is so important because if we are not courageous enough to share the life that we've we've lived and the learnings from that, how can we possibly enable other people to do the same? So I think it's fair to say that, that you have unleashed your brilliance um, over the time that you have been working in this space. And what I love about your work is that your work in itself allows other people to do the same. Um, thank you for letting me dig a little bit deeper into your past, but also thank you for all of the insight and gifts that you've given in this short time that we've had together for listeners to, to really unleash their brilliance through storytelling. Um, Raul, if people want to find you, how do they find you? Uh, probably the website is the best way. So gabrieldolan.com, um, you can then access that seven-day storytelling kit I was talking about. There's a whole heap of free white papers, you know, access to my books, and that's probably the best spot to go. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. If you have loved the chat between Raul and myself, watch this space for the wind down, uh, which will be a very relaxed conversation around the month that has been, our thoughts on the world, whatever's on our minds over a glass of wine. Uh, watch this space. We are launching very soon and we hope to see you there too. Thanks so much for your time, Raoul. As always, an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Janine. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.